Welcome to The Rancher's Voice, presented by the Montana Stocker Association. I'm Jay Bodner, MSGA's Executive Vice President. And I'm Rayleigh Honeycutt, Director of Natural Resources. Join us for conversations surrounding policy, the legislature, and issues that matter most to ranching families in Montana. Welcome to this week's episode. This week, we'll be discussing updates and announcements from the new Gianforte administration. We'll be talking a little bit about a recap of the first week of the 67th legislature. And we also have interviews from the executive officer of the Department of Livestock, Mr. Mike Honeycutt. We also want to remind our audience to make sure to subscribe to our weekly podcasts, follow our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube channels, and make sure to like, share, and comment each of our episodes so we can uh, share our information with more folks. So let's get started with the recap of this last week. Well, as Monday, um, our new governor and lieutenant governor were sworn in. Um, that's all a uh, videotape. So if you want to go back and look at that, that's available. Uh, it was a nice ceremony, uh, pretty small, but, uh, in addition to that, uh, our new governor did make some new announcements on some key positions in administration and, and folks that, uh, we will interact with as far as the livestock industry goes. So I'll just start it off with the department of agriculture, Mike Foster. Um, Mike has been working with the farm service agency at the USDA for, uh, the last couple of years. Mike's been well known within our industry. He's uh, attended our board meetings and so really looking forward to Mike. Uh, he'll do a great job. We've already had some interaction with him and welcome, welcomed him onto the team. Yeah, I know Mike's pretty well known around the state already and I think many people are really excited to have him come on board and serve as the leader of that agency. And in addition to that, we have the Department of Natural Resources and Conservation, or DNRC, as we, we like to call it. With that, we have Amanda Castor. Um, Amanda brings uh, almost a decade worth of experience to the natural resource world. Um, she's been in D.C. She's been within the Department of Interior. Uh, she was the uh, Acting De Deputy Assistant Secretary for the Land and Minerals uh, Management. And uh, she also worked for uh, then Congressman Ryan Zinke. So Amanda uh, is in town and uh, we're looking forward to uh, sitting down and visiting with her too. Yeah, and we uh, had our first opportunity to hear from her uh, this week as she did uh, introductions of herself and her staff during the Senate Natural Resources Committee. So we wanna welcome her to the state as well. Yeah, and hopefully we can get her on the show. Definitely. Um, we also have the Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks, and that director has not been announced yet. And I know there's a lot of folks that are interested in that position that uh, we have a lot of interactions with that department and landowners. And so we're looking forward to uh, that announcement. And uh, once again, settling in with the, that new director as, as they get settled. From the governor's office uh, staffing standpoint, there was an announcement uh, for the governor's new uh, natural resources policy advisor as well. Michael Freeman was announced as that uh, ad advisor and he is coming to us and most recently served as the acting deputy solicitor for US uh, or for water resources for the Department of Interior. So great uh, background in the natural resources space. Um, he also has a combination of both 
legal and legislative experience, having had experience working in the House, the Senate, as well as regulatory um, agencies. So he'll bring a great portfolio to our state to work um, in that natural resources space. Yeah, and I did have a chance to just visit briefly with uh, Michael on the phone, and uh, we got a chance to just barely get introduced, but um, we're looking forward to once again sitting down with him. Uh, there's a lot of interaction between our our association and really that natural resource position just because all of those issues impact us. So we're looking forward to uh, getting to know Michael a little better and, and, uh, and helping him be successful in his position. Definitely. The governor also, uh, in his first week, uh, has done some great things in regards to uh, the ranching and farming community for our state. Uh, the first uh, thing that he announced was he signed his first executive order. That executive order uh, affects ranchers, farmers, and small business owners and really focuses on um, those regulatory issues that have tied up processes or advancements for business owners. Uh, this task force will be led by Lieutenant Governor Juris, and they will really be focusing on identifying excessive and outdated regulations um, in the coming months. So looking forward to more information from that task force and what that looks like for the agricultural community. Then on Thursday, the governor rolled out his budget for the uh, 2023 biennium. I think he did a great job in being concise and really hitting some top tier um, points as he rolled out that budget. And I know as uh, more uh, conversations come in the coming weeks, we'll see more details regarding that budget. But I just wanted to hit on a couple key points that he rolled out when he had his press conference for the budget. He rolled out four categories that he is focusing on for this budget. The first one is tax relief. Second is trades education. Third is teachers. And fourth is treatment. So looking at that tax release leaf bucket, uh, he wants to get Montana businesses open. I know uh, during his campaign season, that was a key talking point for the Montana Comeback Plan, and he continues to focus on it now that he is in office in his administration. Uh, it really targets uh, tax reductions for business owners, and one key item that rolled out on Thursday when he was uh, discussing his budget is the re exemption of the tax, a business equipment tax. And so they didn't go into details uh, too much during the press conference, but that exemption would be for equipment up to $200,000. And I know from a organizational standpoint, that is a key priority and was a key priority for us going into the legislature. So knowing that that will be an opportunity of discussion is really exciting for us. Uh, he mentioned that that portion of the tax relief is um, going to be coming under the um, Big Jobs Act, which stands for Business Investment Growth Jobs Act. And so he is working with legislators currently to get that rolled out um, in the coming days. Under the trades education component, uh, boosting trades education, and they will be uh, investing an additional million dollars a year for trades education. For teachers and teacher recruitment in our state, uh, teacher pay is the lowest in the country for Montana, which is a staggering statistic. And so the governor's uh, budget will include a $2.5 million uh, 
budget to give to school boards around the state to incentivize educators to come work in rural communities and communities around the state. So really exciting there for our communities. And last but not least, again, one of his campaign talking points was treatment and prevention and recovery programs. And so an additional $23.5 million per year will be invested in both state and federal funds for that treatment category. Overall, the budget is going to be flat though, which is pretty impressive as a new governor rolls out his budget. Uh, they are saying that they will hold a fairly flat budget for the next biennium with total general fund increases being less than 1% each year. Uh, so that includes all of the items I previously mentioned. And so Governor Gianforte is moving forward with a very fiscally responsible budget, I think, into this next uh, fiscal year. Yeah, I would agree. Also, it looked like um, he had some great provisions in there and some really some things that we've been trying to get done for the last number of years mm -hmm. with the association. And so, um, yeah, we're 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 going to be digging into that budget, too, and looking at some of those provisions. But, you know, just on its face, it looks like it's pretty exciting news. So um, so with that, we'll, we'll maybe we'll just kick off a little bit about what's happened in the first week of the legislature this week. And. Typically, at the first week, um, legislators are getting settled in a bit. They're um, getting comfortable in where the committees are. And in most cases, they're just having organizational meetings with their committees. So each one of their committees, the, the chairman, the vice chair, they'll introduce all of the legislators in that committee. They, they talk a little bit about who they are, how they're going to operate that committee. Um, and then they also do provide an opportunity for us as lobbyists that may be interacting with that committee to introduce ourselves. Um, we have taken that opportunity up. We did get a chance to uh, participate in the, in the House Ag, the, the House Natural Resources, and also the Fish, Wildlife, and Parks Committee. So we got a chance to, once again, introduce ourselves, tell them a little bit about our organization, what some of our priorities are, and um, and just get them familiar with who we are as an organization. So um, started off very well. Definitely. In addition to that, uh, as Jay mentioned, this, the week did start off um, somewhat slow, but there were two bill hearings that we participated in um, on this first week. So the first bill was in the Senate Natural Resources uh, uh, Committee, and that was on Friday, January 8th. That bill that we uh, are, were part of was the... Senate Bill 13, which is the DNRC adjudication benchmarks bill. This bill came from the Water Policy Interim Committee, or WIPIC, uh, that had met uh, leading up to session and was uh, sponsored by Jill or Senator Jill Konghauer. Uh, really, it's more of a revision of the existing uh, adjudication policy that's in place and really integrates language um, regarding the benchmarks and ex exempt rights into the adjudication process. So that bill, uh, we are part of the Senior Water Rights Coalition and testified as a coalition in support of that bill on Friday. Just looking forward uh, toward next week, um, we do have a number of bills that are already on, on the schedule. So I might just touch on a few of those. We do have House Bill 40. This is gonna be brought forth by Representative Willis Curdy out of Missoula and it deals with the aquatic invasive species, so AIS. Uh, this bill specifically deals with ballast boats and how they're gonna decontaminate those, but 
once again, I think for our association, anytime there's any bill that's uh, involved in aquatic invasive species or AIS, we're going to be reviewing that. This particular bill, we won't have to testify on, uh, but we do keep track of all of those. Uh, in addition to that, we'll have uh, House Bill 119. This is going to be brought by Senator Logie. Um, and this does um, issue a free license, uh, either sex license, elk license, to uh, landowners that do provide free public hunting for elk. So once again, I think uh, it, it does recognize the con contribution that landowners do make and, and uh, provide that free license. Um, in addition to that, uh, Senator Logie will also bring, be bringing House Bill 108. 108 does, uh, it deals with trespass regarding uh, permission for hunting. And it really is just a clarification um, it does clarify that you absolutely need permission from a landowner before you hunt on private land. And that also does include retrieving game. Um, it, uh, it just makes that statute a little bit clearer. So um, that's something we'll also be supporting. Um, in addition to that, um, we'll have Senate Bill 58. This is going to be brought forth by Senator Mike Cuff. Um, and this does uh, deal with the Livestock Loss Program. Um, it ensures that we will have $300,000 uh, invested into that program each year. Uh, so that is current statute, but it also does allow for an additional $100,000 into their restricted account. And their restricted account deals with um, non-lethal preventative measures. We want to we provide every opportunity we can to reduce uh, depredations on livestock. And so this account will provide some of those um, assistance to, to help landowners reduce that threat. Um, in addition to that, we also have Senate Bill 27. This will be uh, brought by uh, Senator Butch Gillespie. Um, and this adds the multiplier to the Livestock Loss Program. And this program, once again, other states um, um, have implemented this. We um, have talked about this with our Department of Livestock and, and that's further clarified in that interview, but once again, this is an important provision that we'll also be supporting and we've had policy on the books for many years. In addition to those bill hearings, uh, the Department of Livestock's budget is also up uh, for consideration during the committee hearings on Tuesday, January 12th. And so we um, have had the opportunity to sit down with the executive officer of the Montana Department of Livestock, Mike Honeycutt, to give us a deeper dive into what that budget looks like, legislation coming up that is affecting the agency, and a few uh, topics that are a little more general that are affecting the livestock industry. So with that, we would like to uh, introduce the uh, Director of Department of Livestock, Mike Honeycutt, for his interview regarding Department of Livestock. Well, I'd like to welcome everybody. I'd like to welcome uh, Mike Honeycutt to our podcast today. Mike is the executive officer for the Montana Department of Livestock. And Mike, I know that a lot of our members are familiar with you. You've joined us at our meetings at both our convention and also at our mid-year meetings. But for those listeners that are not familiar with you, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, certainly. Well, as you said, I'm Mike Hennicutt. I'm the executive officer of Montana Department of Livestock. I've uh, now been uh, with the department for five years. Uh, and so uh, for, for me, originally, uh, just background information, originally a native of North Carolina, moved here to this state about five or six years ago. 
I was lucky enough to to marry a young lady from Montana, and that's what what brought me out here. Uh, as far as my uh, uh, background, a uh, former ag educator, worked for the National FFA organization, uh, was the director of the National Council for Agricultural Education, uh, and even spent some time in uh, in uh, the agribusiness side of things. Uh, worked for Cargill Ag Horizons back in the Midwest some years ago. So it's a little bit about uh, my background leading up to the time before I came uh, to the Department of Livestock. Oh, well, thank you, Mike. Well, thanks again for joining us once again. Um, I know that uh, our legislature has just kicked off. We've started the 67th legislative session. It started on Monday. And um, so we'd like to just maybe talk a little bit about what that means for the Department of Livestock. Um, uh, we'll kind of venture on from there and, and ask some other broader questions that the department may work on. But I think certainly from our perspective and probably your perspective, one of the big things to uh, address at the legislature really deals with the budget and your budget in particular. And so maybe you could walk us through a little bit about how that works up there at the legislature and, um, and maybe how uh, us as producers can uh, provide some assistance to the department in that arena. Mm -hmm. Well, I think one of the major points about uh, budgeting and state government on the executive side that's, that's important for people to remember is, yes, we're now at the legislative session, but for the Department of Livestock, this is a process that started almost a year ago. Uh, in formulating uh, the budget that would be uh, carried forward in House Bill 2 and, and other uh, fiscal bills that will be uh, looked at this session. So we have to go through a process of, of determining, you know, what budget we want to have uh, for the next biennium. Uh, we take that forward to the Board of Livestock for their approval. We did that back in the spring of last year. Uh, and then we actually have to work through the uh, Office of Budget and Program Planning at the governor's office to get their approval and sign off as an executive branch agency. So by the time we get to this point, we've already actually done a lot of work in formulating that budget before it ever gets uh, into the legislature's hands. Uh, at this point, where we are is uh, every House Bill 2 uh, appropriation for the executive agencies are heard by subcommittees uh, of the legislature. We're in Section C, Natural Resources. So us, along with uh, the Department of Agriculture, Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, the Department of Natural Resources and Conservation and the outlier for us, the Montana Department of Transportation, all go before that subcommittee uh, to present our budget. And that subcommittee is, is uh, the group that will take executive action to pass it out to the full House appropriations as it goes on its way uh, uh, through the appropriations process, getting uh, to the budget that the governor uh, that will be passed by the legislature and ultimately signed by uh, the governor. So our first hearing on our budget will occur on January 12th that morning with that Section C subcommittee. At that time, we'll present uh, the budget that we're putting forward uh, and answer any questions that those legislators legislators, excuse me, have uh, at that particular time. Uh, the major things I'd say about our budget is, you know, we have inflationary, deflationary factors. Or there's lots of formulas that go into figuring it out that are outside of our control. Uh, but the big thing we'll be doing is presenting uh, what we call new packages, uh, which are additions above and beyond the budget we had uh, in the previous biennium. So some big things there that I think would be of interest to your listeners is, um, you know, a potential increase in designated surveillance area funding as that area of surveillance for brucellosis continues to grow. Uh, always some one-time only expenditures as we deal with capital purchases in the department. Um, 
people would would not be surprised. We have lab equipment. We have vehicles for our brand inspectors and other people that they have to drive around. Those items, just like in any business, uh, hit the end of their useful life and have to be replaced. Uh, so those are the types of uh, decision packages that we'll be talking about and presenting uh, to that subcommittee uh, on the 12th. Great. Thanks. And outside of that, uh, Mike, I know that we have actually talked to our listeners previously about the upcoming proposal that your agency has put together and um, uh, shared with multiple uh, organizations around the state regarding a potentially new plan for a veterinary diagnostic lab. And that uh, falls outside of the budget that you'll be presenting on the 12th. But what can you tell us um, a little bit more about regarding that veterinary diagnostic lab proposal, how it will be presented and how it will be paid for. Mm -hmm. So the veterinary diagnostic lab, as opposed to, to, as you said, standing in the budget that we're presenting, uh, that is part of the long range building plan uh, for the state of Montana. Uh, and so usually that comes out in a couple of different pieces of legislation. So for those who are looking uh, where they can find the veterinary diagnostic lab and if they're looking for the particular piece of legislation to support if they want to uh, see that veterinary diagnostic lab proposal move forward is house bill 14 uh, which is uh we refer to and around here as the bonding bill uh but but all of the bonded long-range building projects uh for that have been proposed by agencies for the state of montana uh, will be in that particular piece of legislation uh, which would be taken up first by the House Appropriations Committee. That's the first group uh, that hears and sees that. So within that, what we have uh, is we have a $36 million facility proposed. That is the Montana Veterinary Diagnostic Lab and the Montana Ag Analytical Lab. They're joining uh, us as well with a, a new lab uh, for their employees that would be uh, connected to and adjacent to the Montana Veterinary Diagnostic Lab. But Specifically speaking to the Department of Livestock, about $30 million of that $36 million uh, is in our court. Uh, and so what we have proposed is $13 million of general fund appropriation. Uh, we'll, we're also proposing uh, right away $7.6 million of uh, per capita fee from the Department of Livestock as our down payment. Uh, the remainder of at about 10 million approximately that we that we're talking about there uh, would be bonded uh, at, at hopefully a very good interest rate at the current time. Uh, so essentially our debt service going forward to pay off the rest of the building, which in future biennials, we don't have that in this particular biennium because by the time we would start construction, we, even if it got approved today, uh, we would not start to see some of the ongoing expenses until the next biennium. But if that were to be approved in the future, uh, we would have to request from the legislature the authority uh, to make our annual uh, bond payments, which is no different than, you know, your annual mortgage payments on your house, uh, a very similar uh, concept. Uh, and we do believe that, you know, looking forward, so as I said, we have about $7.6 million of capita right now project. So we're looking at a mixture of general fund because we do believe general funds should contribute to the lab because we are doing work for public benefit in wildlife. Uh, we're doing work for the public benefit with regard to public health on issues like rabies, for example, uh, where we're doing testing. Uh, so there's, there's reason to have some public funds going into that bond payment, but the other half of that would come from per capita. And looking at our future revenues and looking at where our, our reserves are now, 
uh, we think we're very capable uh, to, to bring that additional or new expense in in future biennials uh, to help get this project done, uh, as, as people would say, taking the one bite of the elephant at the time. Uh, but the good news is, I mean, with this to come forward, not being 100% general fund. So even though general fund is going to be a very difficult conversation in this session, one thing that is a feather in the cap, I think, for the industry and for the Department of Livestock is that we are bringing this big capital project forward and and committing some of our own funding uh, to the project and being able to verify that we can do that. Thanks, Mike. And I mean, just from our organization standpoint, uh, that has been a very uh, high priority for us. So we're really looking forward to continuing our work with that. Just kind of moving on, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, the Livestock Loss Program. Now, that program is attached to the Department of Livestock. And what we've seen in Montana is generally just an increase in livestock loss by predators from grizzly bears and mountain lions and wolves. And one of the proposals this year is to look at adding a multiplier to that piece of program that would account for some of those lost livestock that we just don't find. And maybe you could just tell us a little bit more from a department's perspective, how you think that might uh, work from um, for producers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the concept of a multiplier within these livestock loss programs is 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 not new. In fact, several states already have multipliers in place. Uh, very appropriately, as you pointed out, Jay, uh, the concept or or the problem there is is that we have a lot of depredation. Uh, we have to confirm that depredation through USDA Wildlife Services investigation to be able to pay claims. And I think we've all been aware that in certain areas of the state, uh, just based on uh, weather, uh, the, the, the ruggedness of maybe the country where we're grazing, uh, that it's very difficult to prove all those losses. And so the example I typically give is, is maybe you had one or two confirmed kills to a grizzly bear or to wolves, um, you know, but you, you know when you come off of that grazing area, you know what your numbers were and you know you lost more than two animals. You just couldn't find the carcasses. You just couldn't prove it. And so the concept of the multiplier uh, is to compensate for that. The fact that we know there's depredation, there's loss that can't be proven. uh, And so you apply some sort of factor to that. Now, the Livestock Loss Board is looking at it a little differently than some other states have put in a multiplier. Uh, Some states have put multipliers in statewide. What the Livestock Loss Board is asking for the ability to do is to uh, have the ability as a board to decide on regional multipliers. Uh, Certainly, Montana is a big state, uh, very diverse in its topography and and how people uh, uh, perform in their operations. Also, the the types of predators and the pressure of predators is different in areas of state. So the concept there is that in some areas of the state, the multiplier may not be necessary. Uh, but in certain areas of the state where, you're, where you have high predator populations, where you have these uh, concerns about, you know, the ability to get into that backcountry and really see what's going on, uh, that they would have the ability to pay the multipliers there because that's where we know the unproven loss uh, is occurring. Um, and so they're looking for that ability uh, just simply to, to enact that. Thanks, Mike. And so uh, in addition to that, on the livestock loss, would uh, that board then put in some administrative rules or that would be just a policy um, statements that they would fully, I guess, more fully develop as a board? Yeah, I think they would probably utilize the administrative rules process. Uh, you know, they do like like all agencies or entities or political subdivisions within state government have have some 
from enabling uh, statutes for rulemaking authority. Uh, you know, so I think they would look at establishing that through administrative rule. Uh, one of the advantages of doing that versus doing it as a just a policy is that, you know, the administrative rule process requires uh, public comment periods uh, so that you can get public feedback uh, and, and and gives a little bit that decision than say just a, a policy decision they may take at one of their few meetings they have each year. Uh, so I, I would hope uh, that, you know, the Livestock Loss Board would use the administrative rule process to to set the parameters of, of whether they're going to have a multiplier, how the regions would be determined, uh, those types of things, so that, uh, so that that's very clear for the public how that gets done. Thanks. Great. And kind of moving on um, to other legislation, uh, from your standpoint, from your agency's standpoint, are there other bills or other areas that you are watching as we move into committee hearings and the legislative session? Uh, certainly, there's there's lots of issues that uh, they're not new issues, uh, but I will say that some issues have a lot of heightened concern. Uh, we all are aware of what uh, COVID brought uh, to our livestock industry over the last year. So I think that is heightened an awareness about local processing. Uh, how do you encourage more local processing? Is there any type of deregulation that might be done that would allow more people to enter that industry, would allow more people uh, to, to uh, be able to utilize products locally so that, you know, A, our consumers have more local choice in Montana, but for those in our industry, they're not tied into these national and international systems uh, so directly that when they falter, as they did during COVID, there's no opportunity to, to do anything differently or find uh, outlets to be able to sell your products. So I think we're going to see a lot on that, particularly around meat and around dairy. Uh, those are, you know, two areas. So, you know, we've always dealt with, with bills around, uh, you know, legalizing at some level raw milk sales within Montana. Uh, I think we will we will see efforts again on that front uh, in meat processing. I think we'll see multiple legislators trying to uh, tackle that question and see if there's anything that could be done at the state level legislatively uh, to improve uh, the opportunities and the conditions for growing the number of, of meat processing businesses in Montana or growing those already in existence so that we have more meat processing capacity within the state. Uh, on the periphery here with the Department of Livestock, bison is always a, a, an issue that that uh, we deal with, that the industry deals with. You know, our involvement is particularly around Yellowstone uh, bison and those with, you know, that are emanating from that part of the world that we know have brucellosis. Um, you know, so I think we'll see, you know, some legislation dealing with uh, bison in some way, shape or form, whether that be uh, dealing with domestic bison, dealing with wild bison, and and then or dealing with Yellowstone bison in particular. Uh, so I think we'll see uh, some things on that front, which are which are nothing new for those of us who have been been around the session a few times. Uh, but but I think we'll see those those types of uh, efforts being made as well. Uh, those are the the big ones as I look out and and see on the horizon uh, things that I, I think legislators are going to want to try to tackle. Uh, uh, during this session. And as I said, there'll be new ideas, but, but uh, a lot of these ideas are things that have been floating around for, for several sessions trying to find a way home. Well, Mike, uh, we've covered a lot of topics today and um, I, I really do appreciate the time and, and um, your willingness to kind of join us and walk through some of these topics because they all really are very important 
uh, not only to us as livestock producers in the state, but um, I think in the general public too. So um, with that, I'd like to once again, just thank you for joining us today and uh, we'll let you go about your busy schedule. Well, thank you so much. It was a, it's a pleasure to be uh, with you and, and speak to everybody listening to the podcast and always a, a pleasure to uh, interact with the Montana stock growers. Uh, and I would say on behalf of myself and the staff, and also I think I could say on behalf of the Board of Livestock, we are always uh, very appreciative of, of the support and effort that's made by Montana stock growers and its members uh, on behalf of this department to make sure we have the resources uh, we need to do an effective job uh, for, for all of you and, and make sure that uh, we keep this industry strong and keep this industry moving. So I think that wraps up our podcast for today. Um, thank you everybody for joining us. Um, I just would like to remind everybody you can subscribe to this on our podcast. Uh, our weekly podcast and yeah so make sure you subscribe uh, also follow us on social media and make sure to like share and comment on each episode we also want to remind our listeners that if you do have questions that you would like us to cover during one of these podcasts to make sure to shoot us an email uh, you can email kenny at k-e-n-i at mtb.org and we will be sure to answer those as we roll out new episodes so thanks again for listening and we will talk to you next week thanks everyone